you, Matt. Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, that you enabled us and gave us the courage to receive the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the revelatory knowledge you've given to each of us to find ourselves born again, born again of the kingdom of God instead of born again to this world of flesh. We thank you, Lord, that your blood cleanses us. It's not my work or my, or my righteousness. It's your blood and your righteousness that redeems us. And we're so thankful, Lord. You certainly have changed our mourning into dancing because we can dance around your throne someday as we worship and praise you, our Savior, who redeemed us from the pit. Lord, I can't think of any other way I'd rather live my life than serving you with my whole heart. I could look around this room and I could say the same thing about the people here. That they would say the same thing. They wouldn't choose any other way to live their life. Even though their husbands or wives or spouses or children or aunts or uncles or mothers or fathers or neighbors reject them, they still would choose you. Because you have become their life. And it's because you lived your life through them, through us. Because your Holy Spirit lives within each of us. Thank you, Jesus. You said that it's expedient that you go away. Because if you don't go away, the comforter can't come. The helper can't come. And if the helper can't, wouldn't come, I would have never got an opportunity to talk to you. But since he did come and lives in my heart, I can come before your throne in the blink of an eye. And I can stand there and not be consumed because the precious blood of your son washes over me and cleanses me and turns my wretched, disgusting, black sin into beautiful righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then you place on each of us, Lord, the robe of righteousness. And we thank you, Lord. We're here on this earth, Lord, to bring glory and honor to you. And I pray, Lord, that tonight is no different, whether it be while we're here at the church or whether it be when we go home. And even while we sleep and even while we wake up, you said to teach your word to our children diligently when we walk by the way, when we sit in our house, when we lie down, and when we rise up. And Lord, we intend to do that because you are our life. And we want to serve you with all of our heart in obedience to your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, Father God, we pray, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. God bless the church. You may be seated. We're glad you're all here. We're glad you're those are online. For those of you that just tuned in on YouTube, Paul's cast or whatever else we're on, you know, I just want to say you're watch you're listening to Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. Uh we're in South Florida on High Paluxo Road. Um you know, if you if you go to our website, you can find out everything about us if you're local. Um, our website is Freedom Church PB. Stands for Palm Beach dot org. Freedom Church PB Palm Beach dot org. Freedom Church PB dot org. You can check us out online, find out what we uh, believe in. I can tell you simply enough. It's all about Jesus in this church. It's all about falling in love with with our Savior and falling in love with our brothers and sisters. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You should love one another. And then all men would know that we are the disciples of Jesus because the love we have for one another. And uh, we do thank you. You know, I hated that COVID because we, I didn't know whether to hug people, shake their hand, or stay away from them. You know? But... You know, now I believe that's over. That indignation has passed, just like the Passover, uh, the Jewish Passover, you know, that the spirit of death passed over, you know, the uh, over those that had the blood. And Matt just sang a beautiful song for us about the blood of Jesus. And I preached about it not too long ago, a few weeks ago, actually. Nothing can wash away our sins Nothing but the blood of Jesus, and that is so true. And I thank you, Lord, for washing away my sins, because whether you know it or not, I might be a pastor, but I'm a wretched, disgusting, sinful piece of sand that God has put together. The only difference between me and some of you out there is I've been washed in the blood of Jesus, and that makes me righteous, his precious blood. When God saw the blood, was he passed over the houses in Israel at passed the first Passover? He saw the blood on the doorposts and he passed over. Death passes over. And likewise, you know, as God sees the blood of Christ over me when I pass from this life, you know, he's, eternal life will be given to me instead of eternal death. And I praise the name of the Lord. Nobody could do that. We sang in the, in the song today. No one could do it except God. It's impossible. Anyway, so thank you, Lord. Um, turn to Genesis chapter um, 30. Chapter 30. You know, Genesis is the first book of your Bible. We spent 30 weeks already uh, in Genesis um, maybe 32 or 33 because a couple chapters took us a couple weeks. But before we go on, let's pray real quick as we look into the Word of God. Father, today I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your scriptures to us, Lord, as we study your Word in Genesis chapter 20. A lot of people think that there's not information in the Old Testament that we can grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. But Jesus said, you know, you search the scriptures, and in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they that bear witness of me. The Old Testament scriptures bear witness of the coming of Christ. The kind of Christ who, as our generation, looks back, who has already come. So we praise you, Lord. 
We praise you because you're seen from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And I just preached on that in the last six or eight weeks. Lord, you know, beautiful, beautiful things. The scarlet thread of, of Christ all the way through the entire Bible. Uh, to you be the glory, Lord. You thought of it all. You know, there's a lot of people out there that say they don't know what the answer is. I can tell them right now the answer is Jesus and him alone. All they got to do is pick up the Bible and read it with an open heart. An open heart that really wants to find out the truth. And you will find out that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And you will find out no one comes to the Father except through him. And we thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, speak to us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Chapter 30. Let's read the uh, first um, eight verses because this is a uh, verses, 43 verses, I think, in this chapter. So we're going to cover some ground tonight. But I named this Sibling Rivalry. This chapter, I named it Sibling Rivalry. You're going to see what I'm talking about it as we study through it. And, of course, there's a whole lot more than that. So far, we have seen Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, the forefathers of our faith. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've seen, been studying Jacob here because Jacob, you're going to see this guy go from the raunchy, disgusting, uh, desp devising, deceitful brother to being renamed by God from Jacob to Israel, which means now he's governed by God. And, and if you compare that to the New Testament, you could say he was born again. Because all of a sudden he saw the light. And we're going to see that when he wrestles with the angels, the angel of God, which is the angel of God. It's a Christophany. It's a picture of Christ. Uh, you're going to see him wrestling with Christ, a uh, pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And he's saying, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And it's, uh, it's amazing. So this guy is going to change, and, and uh, maybe we'll do a little study on his changes towards the end of uh, Jacob's time here in Genesis. So far, we've seen Jacob as a devising brother. He stole his birthright. He stole his brother, brother's birthright for a, a bowl of stew. See, he devised that along with his mother. And she said she'll take the blame for it because, you know, let the curse be on her. And, and the curse that was brought to her because of this devising scheme to deceive her own husband and have Jacob blessed instead of Esau, then, uh, then she never saw her son ever again after he left for, for uh, where his uh, Abraham was from. So then we saw him as a deceitful son. He deceived his brother. He devised... He devised a, a plot against his brother. He devised a, he was deceitful to his father. He tricked his own father to thinking that he was Esau, but he was Jacob. He was a dreaming pilgrim in chapter 28 where he saw the ladder coming down from heaven. You know, an angel's going up and down. And then Jesus told us in John chapter 1 and verse 51 that he is the ladder. And that Nathaniel would see the angels of God going up and down as, he, as Jesus fulfills his ministry. 
So we find out that Jesus is the ladder between heaven and earth. That means there's no other way to get into heaven, people, except by Jesus. One ladder. There aren't a bunch of telescopic beam-me-up Scotties around the world. There's only one beam-you-up Scotty to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus said so, and many, many times in the Scripture, and we don't have time to get into that study, but he was very strong. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. He said, unless you believe that I am, which is the name of God, I am, you will die in your sins. You know, there's written in Acts, there's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. You know, uh, listen, it's all, it's all proven. There's no other name under heaven. So, um, he, we see him last chapter as the lug struff, struck suitor, I guess you could say. He fell madly in love with Rachel, his cousin, his uncle Laban's daughter. He fell madly in love with her and eventually married her. We're going to see that. We rem- I can't go into all that. So um, tonight, um, we're going to see him as the frustrating family man, and we're going to frustrate the family man, and we're going to see him as the enterprising employee as he works for his, uh, his uncle Laban. So, and then there's another few points after this that we're going to be getting into in up to chapter 35 of, of Genesis. So let's read the first eight verses of Genesis uh, chapter 30, and I'm reading from the New American Standard. No, I'm sorry, the New King James. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, remember Jacob married Rachel and Leah, Leah first and Rachel last chapter, and she had no children, Rachel. Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, her husband, give me children or I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused because of Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So she said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear a son on my knees that I also may have children by her. Then she gave Bilhah her maid to as wife. And Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with my great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Listen, do you see the sibling rivalry in that last verse there? And that's not all the stuff that's going on here. She said, with the great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister. Remember, Rachel and Leah are sisters. Okay, Rachel's upset. She couldn't have any children. It's amazing because as we see the the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all married beautiful women, but they were all barren. They were all barren until God said, okay, now it's time. All of them, I don't know what's in that, but there's something that got to do with that. 
It's to let us know that we wouldn't exist if God didn't open their wombs. And we find out in this chapter that, you know, the bloodline to Christ is through Leah, not Rachel. See, Jacob fell in love with the outward appearance of Rachel. He didn't look at the inside so much as the as the outside. Where Leah, obviously, we learned last chapter, she was very dim-eyed. She wasn't much to look at. Obviously, she probably had the same body shape as her sister, but she wasn't as pretty as her sister. But see, here's the choice. Man goes after the outward appearance in a woman. Uh, you're better off looking at the inward appearance, as God always said. You don't look at the outward appearance when he told Samuel to go anoint the new king of Israel that's going to replace King Saul. He said, don't be careful, Samuel. Don't you look at the outward appearance. You look at the inward heart. But you know what Samuel did? He said when he got to Jesse's house, who was the father of David, he saw this big young, big young man, big and strong and handsome, and he says, surely he's going to be anointed. And he was all totally wrong. Before, you know, when it all ended, of course, David came in from the field, a ruddy little kid. And Samuel knew why God said, don't look at the outward appearance. So we all got to learn that lesson. Here's what Rachel said. She said to her husband, Jacob, give me children or I die. Listen, you see she lost, for those of you out there, even women that might be with their husbands are trying to have a child. Don't lose sight of God's sovereignty. Don't lose sight of God's sovereignty. Don't, for, don't re, keep on remembering he's God and there is nothing impossible for him. You know what? You'll have a child when and if he wants you to have one. You're better off praying to him, you know, Remembering his sovereignty, because God says with him all things are possible. You all know that, okay? She lost sight of God's sovereignty. I've had people come to this church that were trying eight years to have children, and they were ready for divorce. They even told me that in the back of this church. And I said, let's go up to the altar and we'll pray that you conceive. And within, I think it was within three months, the woman conceived when she spent eight years trying to have children. Within three months, see, they finally handed it over to God, and God answered and came through. And now they have two children. So, listen, don't lose sight of God's proverb, uh, sovereignty. That's tonight's lesson in, this, in verse 1. Focus. She was focused on her sister's prosperity. She already had sons. She had Reuben and, uh, and um, Levi and Simeon as sons at this point. So she was very jealous. There's sibling rivalry going on, and we're going to see how in a few chapters, we're going to get into Leviticus 18.18, 18, we're going to see that in the Mosaic Law, God says man should never marry sisters. And we're going to see that. And we can even go into Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, I believe it is, where a man, mar mar man was going into his father's wife. 
And Paul came down on it strong. Paul came down on that strong. He said, listen, we're going to put him out of the church. And we're going to hand him over to Satan so that his soul can be saved. And maybe his flesh might be consumed. Strong, strong words. Incest, immorality, fornication. Not good. She was focusing on Leah's prosperity instead of God's sovereignty. And then she shifts the blame to Jacob. Here's the, you know, the blame passing going on, just like uh, Eve did about Satan to, the, to God, and the same thing Adam did with, with uh, Eve against, you know, to God. The woman you gave me, she made me do it. No, she didn't make you do it. You just were disobedient. Blame shifting's happening. The same patterns in our lives. And here's what here's the lesson from that verse first. Don't lose sight of God's sovereignty. Okay? Focus on don't focus on other people's blessings. Yet I hear so many people in my life, a hundred or a thousand times in my life, why does God bless that evil person? Listen, you've lost sight of God's sovereignty. God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. You're focusing on a bless, the blessing that might be given to an a evil man. Don't. And don't shift the blame to God. You need to rest in God's sovereignty. Rejoice in prosperity, whether it be your enemy or, your, or your, uh, yourself. And you take personal responsibility yourself instead of blaming someone else. God is actually teaching these people humility. Bilhah, of course, is Rachel's handmaid. Well, Rachel couldn't have children, so she she figures, oh, I can have I can have uh, I can take one of my maids, and a maid is really a slave status. Do you realize that she took Bilhah and made raised her up to a wife? of her own husband, which means she elevated her from a slave status to a concubine, which is just under the wife. She was a slave. This is not good. You remember Sarah did the same thing? How many in this room believe that the sins of the forefathers pass on to the third and fourth generation? Tell me there is an ancestral sin. I know people and even pastors out there that disagree with that. But yet we see the son, the grandson of uh, Cain ended up killing another guy. We see Isaac telling Abimelech that, that his wife, Rebekah, is his sister, just like his father Abraham did about Sarah to, to Pharaoh. We see ancestral sin. It's passing on. She's doing the same thing that Sarah did. She should have known better. But she didn't. She raises her to a concubine status. So, she says, she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children. That same thing what Sarah did and then Hagar had Ishmael, if you remember right. Listen, you know, this was a custom back in that day. Let me read you from this book. This is a book of Genesis. It's written by David Gusick. On my knees. Here's what it means. 
is it? This is what was done in the olden days. On my knees refers to a custom where the husband would impregnate the surrogate while the surrogate reclined on the lap of a wife. And how she might even recline on the wife as she gave birth. The symbolism clearly showed the child will legally be the child of the mother, not the surrogate, who merely stood in for the wife, both in conception and birth. Custom. That's a weird custom, don't you think? I would never do that, and my wife ain't getting anywhere near another guy. You know, I'm not a jealous guy, but I'm sorry. I'm never going to let that kind of stuff happen. Uh, Jacob's a busy man, as you can well see. Um, verses 4 through 8, Bilhah bears two sons to Jacob. Obviously, it wasn't a one-time thing. It went on and on. He only has two sons, okay? Uh, name, Rachel names these children. This was the fifth son of Jacob, and his name was, his name was given Dan, which means judge. Rachel believes that God had brought her justice, that now she has a son through Bilhah for Jacob. Well, she conceives again, and she has another son, and his name is Naphtali, which means wrestling. And it speaks, wrestling speaks of the competition that's going on between, between Rachel and Leah. They're sisters, remember? And you know Jacob loved uh, Rachel and not Leah. He was tricked by his, his, um, his uncle, who was a bigger deceiver than, than Jacob was. Jesus, well, God said it in the very beginning. He said, singularly, there should be one man, one woman for one man. We weren't supposed to have ten wives according to the scriptures. It might be written in, in another book that isn't the Bible, but and that doesn't make it true. That makes it error and error. This is the only book that God has written. And there's no doubt about that. Leviticus 18.18, 18, I'll read it for you. Leviticus Eighteen and eighteen, you shall not marry a woman in addition to her sister as a rival while she is alive to uncover her nakedness. See, this is in the Ten Commandments. Remember, when Jacob lived, the Mosaic Law wasn't written yet. But Leviticus is the establishment of the Mosaic Law. And in the Mosaic Law, God saw all this going on, of course, he never probably expected it, maybe. Who? Well, God knows all. He probably did. But he wrote it in there. You shall not marry a woman in addition to her sister as a rival while she is alive. A rival. Sibling rivalry is going on here for their husband. You're going to see it get even worse as we get into this chapter. God said one flesh relationship. You man should have one wife, and that's it. One man, one woman, one family with children. Genesis 39 through 13. 
when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpha, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. You see the rivalry now? She's going to get her handmaid, promote her to concubine, okay, to outdo her sister. And Leah's maid, Zilpha, Dilpa, bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, a troop comes. So she called his name Gad, and Leah's maid, Zilpha, bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. So Leah, through Zilpha, has Son number seven, Gad, whose name mean a, means a troop comes. In other words, she, this is her fifth son to Jacob. That's a troop. That's a troop. When I was in the army, you know, we had a squad leader, and that squad usually had about five to seven or eight people in it. It's a troop. Leah sees God is favoring her over Rachel. She has five sons, and Rachel has two by a surrogate. Sibling rivalry is going on. But, but also, Leah also knows that Jacob doesn't love her. She, he loves Rachel. He, you're gonna, as we move on, you're going to see that as the scriptures hint to, Jacob shared his bed with Rachel, not Leah. And then he, she had son eight, again, this this impregnation or, you know, uh, to get pregnant or go into the concubine was, a, was obviously not a one-time affair because now she has a second son. Has to be at least nine months later, right? 18, 15, 18 months later. Um, okay, and she has another son, Asher, which means happy. She's happy because she's outperforming her sister. Sibling rivalry is going on. One's loved, one's not loved. Jacob loves the one without any children by her own flesh, but two by a surrogate. Again, Leah just raised up Zilpha to a concubine status from a slave. From a slave. So now Jacob has eight sons, which is a foundation of a nation. But he's going to have 12 by the time it's all over. God is blessing Jacob, even though sibling rivalry is going on. This, my friends, in the patriarchs of the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is a dysfunctional family. So I don't care how functional your family is, there's some dysfunction going on. But there's a lot going on in the patriarch's life. And don't forget, we're supposed to learn from all this. Verses 14 through 21, Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes. Now remember, Reuben is the son of Leah. He is the firstborn son. He was in the field. He found mandrakes in the field, and he brought them to his mother, Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, Give me some of your son's mandrakes. And she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? You see the sibling rivalry going on? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? 
And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. Look at it. She's making a bargain. Listen, my sister can sleep with you tonight. I'll let my husband sleep with you tonight. You just give me some mandrakes. You know, if he accepts this, do you realize he's prostituting himself? In a way, I guess you could say. Okay. Would you take away my mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, sexual intercourse, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. Oh, prostitute for hire here. It's, it's, it's really bad. You think you're bad? Jacob wasn't so hot. And he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun, and afterwards she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. She's the only daughter that's actually brought up. You'll see why as we move on. Listen, so here she is. You know, Leah, you know, uh, actually, well, Rachel makes a suggestion. I'll, you know, I want your mandrakes. You can sleep with my husband tonight if that's what, you know, you want. Why did she want the mandrakes? We're going to see as we, as we go on here. But you see the sibling rivalry continually going on. And it happens in every family. So mandrakes, what's this about mandrakes? They're called love apples in, in, by the Hebrews. And the herb is thought to assist in fertility. We sleep with them under your pillow, supposedly. And it seemed to work for Leah because she had two more sons. And Rachel wanted them because she still had no natural children. She still does not pay attention to the sovereignty of God. I don't care if you want to have a child. I don't care if you're sick with some disease. I don't care if you want your hearing to be better. You can't lose sight of God's sovereignty because he certainly is able. I don't believe that we as people do not doubt God's ability. We doubt if he'll do it for me. Do you see that? We don't doubt God's ability. Every one of us will say, yeah, God could move that mountain. God could part that Red Sea. You know, God could make appear right here, you know, fish and loaves so that we can have dinner. We don't, we don't uh, deny that. We know that, you know, God could heal our friend of cancer who's dying in a hospital. But we don't, if I prayed that for me, we, we, we seem to doubt. And I don't know why. I don't know why that is. Will he do it for me? Certainly he'll do it for you. And then uh, in Matthew chapter 8, or is it chapter 10, the leper came down. When Jesus came down from the mountain, the leper came up to Jesus, and he said, Sir, if you 
are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus didn't hesitate. He didn't say nothing but this. I am willing. You think God ain't willing to heal you? Oh, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Listen, I get pains in my legs and my bones and my knees, and, and I ask God to heal me. But you know what? I have to do something. You know what? My doctor told me to do stretches. So I do stretches every morning. Stretch my legs, stretch my knees, stretch my calves, my heel, hamstrings. I, might, I have a part in this too. I can pray, number one. Number two, I can go to the doctors. Number three, I can listen to the doctor. And number four, I can listen to God. Now we're going to reverse those last two. Number three, I'll listen to God. Number four, I'll listen to my doctor. And don't forget God's sovereignty, church. COVID is nothing. It's not a death sentence. I know people that had it, never even told anybody, and they're still fine. Fear. Where did the church come up with all this fear? That certainly didn't come from God. As it's written, 2 Timothy 1.7, or it might be 1 Timothy 1.7. An arrangement is made to sleep with Jacob. They work out an arrangement here. You know, Jacob's preference, his preference is Rachel's bed. There's no doubt about it. He came in from the field. He, Leah knew that she, you know, he was going to go to Jacob, uh, Rachel's bed because he loved Rachel. So, he has two, she has two more sons, Issachar and Zebulun, and Issachar means reward. He sees, she takes it as God's rewarding her, you know, for giving Zilpha to him so that she could have more children for Jacob through Issachar, or um, through, um, you know, through uh, Bilha, or Zilpha, who is going to bear Issachar, which is a reward. And then son number 10 is Zebulun, which means dwelling. And she looks, you know, to him as her security for Jacob's affection. She's thinking, now surely my husband will love me over Rachel because I bore him, you know, seven, eight, six sons, I believe it is, at this point. Then she has a daughter, Dinah, and she's the only one that's really mentioned in the, the scriptures, and there's a reason for that. We're going to see that as we, we move along. There are women maimed in the scriptures. Most of them are to the bloodline of Christ. Dinah is not, okay? But she is important to Jacob, to, to I'm sorry, Judah, getting the birthright. She's still waiting for Jacob to love her, but she but for some reason, Jacob's love just hasn't stopped for uh, Rachel. And you know what? I think by the time this, and my wife says it all the time, her, her maker is her husband. Her maker is, I'm, I'm her earthly husband, but her maker is her real husband. And I think finally, Leah's getting a hold of that picture. Now, verse 30, 22 through uh, 24. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her room. Obviously, she's been praying, 
She lost sight of his sovereignty, but she's still praying, okay? And, uh, and she conceived and bore a son, and God has taken away, and she said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. You know, Joseph is, is born, and the Lord did certainly add when you think of it, she's thinking of another son, but God goes beyond that because, because she added, you know, God added many people. If it wasn't for Joseph, according to the scriptures, Israel would have perished in the famine. But God sent Joseph ahead, and he certainly did add to the kingdom. They went into, into Egypt. There was about, I forget the exact number, 43 maybe 63, 73, and they came out by the millions 400 years later. Rachel finally has her first son. Probably She's probably been barren at this point for 10 to 15 years, and she bears him his 11th son. His name is Joseph. He shall add, as it means, Rachel believed God will give her another son, and he does. So it has a twofold purpose, you know, to save the nation and to and to uh, add another son to uh, Judah's uh, line. Verses 30, 25 through 33. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go for you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, please stay if I found favor in your eyes for I have learned by experience. This is Laban now. Remember, he's a carnal man. For I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Whoo, now that took some guts to admit. And then he said, Name me your wages, and I will give it. So Jacob said to him, You know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. And the Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now, when shall I also provide for my own house? So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through your flocks today, removing from them all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and all the spotted and speckled goats, and these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come. When the subject of my wages comes up, you, every one that is not speckled and spotted belong among the goats and among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. So Jacob expresses his desire to leave. His 14 years has gone by. He wants to go home. Okay, he has a desire to go back to Canaan. You know, why does he have that desire? If you remember right, in Genesis chapter 28, verse 13, God gave him a promise. He said, you know, to give him the land of his descendants as a blessing. That means he has to be going back to Canaan. 
In verse 28, 15 said, God says he would bring him back, Jacob, back to Canaan. That's just the way it, twice it's written. God's going to bring him back to Canaan. Okay? The problem, number one, we see in verse 27, God had blessed Laban because of Jacob, and Laban does not want Jacob to leave. It's like you, if you're an employer, you aren't going to want your best employee to leave. You're going to do whatever it takes to keep them, even if you have to raise his salary. That's basically what's happening here. If you read Genesis, and we'll be coming upon it, Laban changed jo uh, Jacob's wages 10 times in those 14 years. And I'm sure it went down and not up because he was a carnal man. So Jacob's pretty much got him figured out. Okay? You know, i tell you something. I don't know if it's going to go places or anything, but the bar behind us, which is still on the same property that we are, okay, they wanted to make this church a liquor store. Okay? They said that because there was a church here, their business was dying. That isn't what God's Word says. God's Word says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. That was a promise given to, to us, to, Je to Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Okay? And since we are children of Abraham through the blood of Christ, he had it all wrong. And you know what? Instead of this turning into a liquor store, the bank threw him out because he couldn't pay his bills. And finally, the bank took it over. And I told the broker, you know, that make sure you tell this new landlord that because this church is here, God will bless your business, not take away from your business. Now, some Christians are probably saying, God's going to bless a bar? <laughs> you know what? God will do whatever it takes to bring people into the kingdom. Actually, I talked to that new owner this week. And at first, you know, on his way out the door, he said to me, remember to pay, pray for us, Pastor Joe. And I said to him, he had a pile of people with him. There must have been seven or eight people here. And he, I said, well, let's pray right now. He was ready to pray. He stopped to try to call his people back in, and they were already headed out the door, so then he walked out the door. And I said to him, I will pray for you. See, now we got a God-fearing landlord. I don't know what he's going to do from here, but I'm just saying that because, listen, don't come against God's people because you'll be the loser. Whether it be the Jews that is God's, you know, family that the whole earth is blessed through, or whether it's the Christians who believe in Messiah and the Jews that believe in Messiah. Listen, God, like I said, now I said, Matt even mentioned it Sunday, God, our God Jehovah, Yahweh, is not Zeus who throws thunderbolts at people. Did you know anybody that shook their hands up at God in a field and said, you can strike me dead, God. Do you ever hear anybody getting struck and dead? No. You know why? Because God is not that kind of God. He loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. You think he's going to kill you? 
No. What's going to kill you is the penalty of your sin. And what's going to give you eternally is if you have treaded under your feet the precious blood that Jesus shed on the cross and treated it as unholy. That's why you'll go into the abyss. So Laban doesn't want Jacob to leave. He's viewing Jacob as a commodity. Remember, he's a materialistic guy. He's a carnal man. Okay? Jacob's proposal then is, okay, if you want me to stay, here's, here's my idea. He says, separate Laban's flocks into solid spot and spotted animals. Send the spotted animals away, for they are Jacob's. Okay, the spotted animals go with Jacob, and Laban gets to keep the nice, shiny, bright, white lambs and goats. Anybody, any of them born speckled will be Jacob's. These go to Jacob's. He only gets the spotted animals. Okay, verses 34 through 43, and Laban said, Oh, that it were according to your word. So he removed that day the male goats and the speckled and the spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it and all the brown ones among the lambs and gave them into the hands of his sons. In other words, Jacob gave them to his sons to take care of them. Then he took care of Laban's flock. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fled, uh, fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of almond and chestnuts and peeled them white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks, the flocks, let me see, gutters in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink so that they would conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods and the lambs and made the flocks face towards the streaks and all the brown in the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flocks. And it came to pass, whoever, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock and the gutters, and they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feeblers were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and male and female servants, camels and donkeys. So listen, do you see Laban's conniving here? Or not Laban's, but Jacob's conniving. He's going back to his, de he's going to deceive his uncle just like his uncle deceived him, okay? So he's going to keep the spotted one. What does this all mean? I don't, know, I don't know anything about raising animals, but I'll tell you what. After 60 years of raising sheep and goats, this guy knew his stuff. It's called experience. It's called experience. So by his experience, he actually got the stronger sheep and goats, okay? And Laban got the weaker ones. They might have been pure white, but they were weak and feeble. And Jacob knew how to do it with this cutting away strips and all these things of 
he, he, somehow the, the strips of popular almond and chestnut trees was some kind of aphrodisiac that was placed in the water that made them have sexual desires and pleasures in, in uh, their behaviors. Don't tell that to those porno shops because they'll get all over this. Let's try to find this aphrodisiac stuff. You know, that's just the way the world is. And his flocks were increased and Laban's were decreased. Some breeding tests show that spotted is receptive to a solid color and goat's latent genes produce spotted um, offspring. In other words, this is selective breeding, okay? How did Jacob know it? Had to be a natural explanation, 60 years of experience, and it also had to have a supernatural uh, experience to it. You know, experience, which is somehow God is involved in this. And they became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male goat, male servants and camels and donkeys. Hebrew's word for, for uh, prosperous means this, to burst out exceedingly, exceedingly. I mean, God just opened the doors of heaven on Jacob and just poured out a blessing that was exceedingly, exceedingly. So here's the principle behind it. Some principles we can learn from Jacob in this. Number one, don't make becoming wealthy your goal. Don't make becoming wealthy your goal. Laban tried, and he ended up kind of poor. He still had, was prosperous, but not like Jacob. What did Jesus tell us? He said, he said this, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul. It won't profit you anything. Number two, don't be afraid to work for the others to increase their wealth as you work to increase your own wealth. In other words, be a, a, a good employee. You know, do your very best. Here's Colossians. 3.23, and whatever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord and not the men, knowing that the Lord, will you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. We're serving God. You do it as unto the Lord. You know what someone once said? Soon one life, soon your life will be passed, but only what's done for Christ will last. So we do it for God. Number three, work hard. Be dedicated to your employer's success. Here's what Jacob says in chapter 31 to Laban as he's leaving. Twenty years I have been with you, and you changed my wages ten times. God has rendered judgment this night. In other words, Jacob has not lost sight of God's sovereignty. Obviously, Laban has. And number four, trust God for your success because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And he will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And that's the lesson here for tonight. So, listen. There was a lot in that chapter. I don't know how how God's going to apply it to your life or to my life, but there's a lot going on here, and uh, we're going to see God take Jacob. 
from the devising, deceitful brother and son that he was to a man that is devoted to God. Father, tonight we just bless your holy, holy name. Uh, we ask that uh, you might reveal to us what it is that we that you want to show us through this study here tonight, whether it be about sibling rivalry to get right, whether it's whether it's not losing sight of your sovereignty to focus on on you and not other people's blessings and, and to quit blaming other people. So, Father, we don't know. There's a whole bunch of other stuff in this chapter, Lord, but each one of us uh, are asking your Holy Spirit to show us what it is that you want us to know and help us to have the courage to do something about it and to you be the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Tune in on Sunday, those online, uh, 10 a.m., freedomchurchpb.org. And God bless you. Love you all.